What's going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieved stardom. On this episode, we hung out with Brad Barr over Zoom video. Brad was born and raised in Rhode Island, moved to Boston, went to Berkeley School of Music, and then eventually landed in Montreal. We talk about how Brad got into music. His brother is 22 months younger than him, and they've been playing in bands their entire life together. He tells a story about getting a guitar for Christmas. Well, the guitar was really for his brother and the drums were for him, but <laughs> Santa messed up on the, on the name tag, so they, they swapped instruments. They both went to school at Berkeley. Right before that is when they formed their first band, The Slip. They were in that band for a number of years, toured around the world. And during one of the tours, his brother met a lady in, in Montreal. He ended up moving there. Brad moved there very soon after, maybe like a month after. And while they were there, that's when they started the Bar Brothers Band. We talk a little bit about that band being nominated for three Juno Awards. I needed him to break down how two brothers from Rhode Island were able to be nominated for a Juno Award. And it's a pretty interesting story there. And we talk all about his brand new solo record, which is called The Winter Mission. And the entire record is done on solo guitar. There's no overdubs. There's not multiple things happening. Every song is recorded live as if he was playing it live. All guitar driven. The whole record is all guitar. It's amazing. You got to check it out. So that's called The Winter Mission, Brad Barr. And you can watch our interview with Brad on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, please, please follow us and hook us up with a five-star review. It would mean the world to us. It really would. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Brad Barr. I appreciate you doing this. Um, this is all about you and your journey in music. And obviously, we'll talk about the, the new record you did, which is such a cool concept where it's just all what guitar, right? It's all guitar. It's all unaccompanied guitar. It's all um, solo. It's, uh, I, I keep looking for the words to explain it, to, to, to describe it, to sum it up. It's, it's, solo. it's a solo guitar record, but it's actually like single performances. So there was no, no overdubs anywhere. Everything. I wanted every right? track. Yeah. I wanted every track to be able to be performed live and they all are they are live performances there's some editing done because a lot of the songs were um just kind of sprawling improvisations so i'd kind of have a, a motif or a theme or kind of a you know song part but then i would improvise for you know long stretches in the studio and then kind of whittle down the song and sometimes i'd re-record it like knowing mm -hmm. how to how the more concise version could go um but in every case it's all just one one one, one musician yeah one one take i guess at, at all at all times so that that was as much the the kind of challenge and the and and the concept behind it as as much as making a solo record wow it, do you use like pedals and stuff to kind of were you loop pedaling at all or I did, yeah i did i tried to also be um, you know, kind of restrained with that too, just because I really like the, really like the idea of 
you know, not to be some uh, tra- traditionalist or or a uh, you know pretend I'm I'm a luddite or anything, but just 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 in the interest of trying to extract the most that I could without a lot of um, a lot of help from from loops and stuff. But I, there are at least two or three songs on there that that use loops, and and one of them in fact like really extensively with a loop pedal connected to another loop pedal connected to another with like a delay in between. So there's one song on there where I really go nuts with the, with the looping. But aside from that, the rest of the the loops are really kind of just ambient, like mm-hmm. an ambient thing here or there. Um, so yeah, I tried to accomplish most of what I was shooting for with, without a bunch of extra layers. That's incredible. I mean, I've, wow. Well, I want to get into that for sure, uh, but I kind of want to hear your backstory a little bit. Were you like, t- tell me about where you were born and raised and how far that is from where you're at now. Oh, sure. Um, uh, born and raised in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, okay. So you're not originally yeah. from Canada. Nope. Nope. I'm American. Um, okay. um I, uh, my brother was born, um, two years after me, we started playing music together when we were about nine or 10 and really just just it's you know our parents not musicians they're a dad's a dentist and my mom's a, a cookbook writer but really? they just yeah they just That's a encouraged cool gig. yeah yeah she was actually she was julia child's um executive chef for for just just over 15 years so she and julia wow. child would, would travel the, the the world together she was kind of julia's like uh you know when the when Julia had a food, uh, you know, food network show or something, something on TV, a food spot, my mom would be the one kind of making sure the staff knew how the chicken was supposed to look. My mom would prepare the food that came out of the oven, you know, because they don't mm-hmm. actually cook, cook the chicken in real time. So she, my mom would prepare the the food and and then she wrote her own cookbooks. Um, That's incredible. So obviously you were fed really well growing up <laughs> yeah that said well yeah we were her her uh her her guinea pigs you know she wanted to try out recipes she would uh we would be the ones who got to, to taste it you know i mean it didn't i didn't help that we also liked spaghettios and you know of course whatever little kid stuff. likes <laughs> yeah yeah so she had to take it with a grain of salt but um oh wow Nice, nice pun. I didn't, I didn't mean to I do like that. that one. Yeah. Um, Himalayan salt. Yeah. Himalayan crystal salt. <laughs> Google it. Yeah. Um, and we just started playing music and we kept that going all through high school, played in bands, played in, in it, always played in the same band, really always had a band together. That is. And um, in the mid nineties, we moved to Boston together. We started a group called the slip, which is a trio. Mm-hmm. Um, with a bass player named Mark Friedman, that band had a had a really good run. It's um, really taught us how to be in a band. Being in a trio is kind of the uh, it's like for for us. It's you learn all the the elements of what being in a band is is uh, requires. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, Adam, hang on one sec. I'm just gonna nice. unplug these headphones because. Hear all this music. Okay. Um, 
Um, so that trio, the slip, uh, had a great, you know, like a good decade of touring and we, you know, mm-hmm. very much our musical education was, uh, was, was with that band on the road. Um, and then in 2005, my brother decided to move to Montreal to be with a girl that he'd met, um, while the slip had been touring in, in Montreal, mm-hmm. he moved here. I tried to make it for uh, in Boston without him. I think I lasted a month before I packed up my my car and, and drove up here to uh, to hang with him. And really, just based on the fact that the city, I just knew the city kind of agreed with me. The the, the pace of life, the quality of life, the things that people seem to be doing and into, and um, I, I knew that if I was to move to Montreal, so something. I'd find something that I could, that could kind of sustain me. So mm-hmm. that was 2005. Well, to, to back up real quick, if you don't mind. Um, uh, so you and your brother have always played in the same band. How, you said he's what, three years younger than you? Two years younger. Two years younger. Okay. Actually 20, 22 months to be specific. Okay. Interesting. Well, I'm curious to know what, what instrument you learned first and who got into music first. Like, were you playing guitar or something. And then your brother was like, Oh, I'm interested in that as well. And you guys started jamming together that way. Like, how did that all kind of happen? Um, do you have, do you have a brother? I have a sister who's 11 years younger than I am. So we kind of, oh, wow. okay. we're in two different ships. <laughs> yeah. Um, it started out with, uh, my mom giving me piano lessons okay. when I was around six, starting me on piano when I was six. <coughs> which I, I, I kept up for, I don't know, maybe four or five years. Excuse me. <coughs> wow. Well, that's, I mean, a lot of people will be like, and then I took that for granted and stopped <laughs> after four months. <laughs> well, I, I, I definitely took it for granted. Um, I, I say four or five years. I, it, it could have been two years, actually. I, I, I'm not really sure. I remember, I remember sticking with it longer than I wanted to. Okay. For based on the fact that I, I, there was still a part of me that there's always a part of me that wanted to learn this or that thing. I wanted to, uh, you know, during the time of taking piano lessons, I would come up with little ideas and I knew that I, I knew that I could, you know, stand to learn more, I guess. I, mm-hmm. I, th- I think, I mean, I seem to remember, you know, sticking with the piano because I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see. So around around the time that I was around age nine, I want to say nine or ten, when Andrew was eight or so, um, my dad gave us uh, a drum set and a guitar for Christmas. I remember, we came downstairs, and there was a drum set there, and Andrew ran right for the drum set and started playing it. But then we looked at the tags on it, and it said the drum said to Brad. Uh, from Santa. So, uh, and there was a guitar there to Andrew. So my dad, bless his heart, he had the right instruments with the wrong Names. sibling. Yeah. <laughs> so it was about a, a year. I don't, I don't really remember touching the drums much. We put them in the basement and Andrew, Andrew would go down and play them. I kind of hadn't, they were a little too, I didn't, I wasn't really drawn to the drums. Um, Did, were you Andrew's guys, 
Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, did he know he, he must have had some inclination that you were interested in guitar and drums? Like, how did he know? Were you guys asking for those or? I, I guess we must have been. I mean, he, I remember I had I had he had a guitar. We always used to kind of open the case up and look at it, but never really knew how to approach it. It was too big. Okay. Like it was impossible to 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 push the strings down it was a big like steel string yamaha acoustic that was uh it hurt you know to try and play right. it so, of course but he could see we we're interested in it i also took a, a plastic guitar and put um rubber bands on it which which was kind of my first actually real feeling of a guitar um but i don't know he he, he i think maybe andrew i was doing piano so maybe andrew had mentioned the guitar I, I somehow mm-hmm. it, you know and and he was he was a he could play a couple elvis tunes you know i think he always he liked rock and roll he loved rock and roll he was you know he saw the stones in in 64 wow. 65 or something <laughs> um not a hippie but just a just a guy who who appreciated rock and roll and loved elvis and um, so it, was, it kind of fit his, you know, his world of, um, Peter Pan world mm-hmm. to kind of get his kids into, into music. And clearly we, it was, it was not hard to nudge just that way. Sure. So I remember Andrew taking guitar lessons. I kept taking piano lessons. It was about a year of awkwardly fumbling around and, and watching my brother, you know, stumble through these guitar recitals. And then finally, we're like, okay, Andrew's supposed to be on the drums. Like a kid came over. Actually, a guy came to our house named uh, Charlie Hall. He lived in our neighborhood. And Charlie um, showed us how to play a drum beat. What the idea behind the, the, the fundamentals of the drums, the kick, the snare, the hi-hat. Mm-hmm. And, and Charlie showed this and Andrew like got it right away and started playing it. Charlie Hall, incidentally, is now the drummer for the War on Drugs. Oh wow, that's crazy! Um, yeah, and so that's how we've come, we came to do a bunch of shows with them was through through Charlie, who was our first the first guy we ever saw really play a drum beat, and he's still playing that same beat in that band. It's just <laughs> it's just like a rock solid, you know. It's that yeah. band is amazing. And, yeah, incredible. Actually, we worked for a radio station in San Diego and we would do all these things at uh, at Coachella when we'd have this little house and then musicians would come by and, you know, do interviews or whatever. And they played like a stripped down set and it was you can find it online. It's like one of the most it was like epic. Like it was gave me the chills. It was that good. Okay, stripped down like uh... it was like acoustic guitars and the, there was drums but it was kind of more like uh the pat like the what are those things called like the little wisps that they use and it was oh, just yeah. a rad experience he didn't have he didn't have all his uh loop samples and loops and stuff and, no not and, as much no and then they did have a key the keys were there i'm trying to remember but it was it was just like a it was one of those performances where it was like whoa like this is insane but Sorry, nice. I went off topic there. <laughs> that was me. That was me. I went. I. 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 Uh, I lured you into that one. 
um, so basically, long story short, yeah, Andrew. Once Andrew got on the drums, and I and I took the guitar, we were kind of that was that was it. We we're kind of set. I think we were the first tunes we learned were like summer of 69 and and uh johnny be good and mm-hmm. Wipeout and uh some acdc you know eventually guns and roses and eventually a classic rock you know some grateful dead and led zeppelin and um and then that kind of kept us going for a while we got into into jazz and into you know that level of virtuosity suddenly <coughs> we're jamming kind of went to the next level you know like mm-hmm. when you hear coltrane when you hear coltrane do with impressions you know suddenly it's like uh the world the world just got a lot bigger and a lot more you know intimidating and, and challenging in, in a wonderful way that i think we we're always kind of up for up for pushing it in a way and seeing how far we could go mm-hmm. were you guys in a band at school or anything like that yeah we were yep uh in school actually that's where our band the, the slip started and, oh did uh, you guys did you go to berkeley we did but but even oh, before wow. that in, in high school in high school our band um when, when andrew was 14 15 and i was you know 16 17 <laughs> Um, the slip started uh, in high school and we actually would do like this weekend weekend shows at other um, high schools. Like we started playing live shows pretty early on and, and kind of cornered the market because, you know, like all the high schools in the area, the kids were kind of psyched to see kids their age getting up and playing covers, um, classic rock covers. We even mm-hmm. played a little fish in there too, you know, for the stoners and which was ourselves. Um, and uh, that was, yeah, that was another like big part of the education when we were pretty young, we were like getting to know what the live circuit looked like. I mean, it was, it was, we were spoiled because there were these built in audiences. And, and when we actually did graduate from high school and move to Boston, and go to Berkeley and start playing at real venues. Um, you know, we got a, a, a sort of the rude awakening of like, okay, like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not these built out. You got to really work for it. You got to, you know, get used to playing for four people and, and watching that grow, um, which we were, you know, we were determined to do, and and that's kind of how the slip started. We were playing in people's basements, and then we'd book a show somewhere, and all the people that were in the basement would come out to the venue. The venue would, you know, have us back, and that was uh-huh. uh, kind of did it. Really, this was all before, really before even the internet. Actually, like we were not nobody was using even email back then. So this is this is like 95 96 97 mm-hmm. it's like long before facebook or instagram and 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 before you know we had to go to kinkos and make collage yeah. collage collages, <laughs> flyers yeah flyers yeah. and posters you know, we had a, a friend who's you know our mailing list was people who signed their names up we'd 
we'd enter them into like a, you know, we had whatever Microsoft Word or something so we could make labels. But our mailing list was little cards that we'd put stickers on with people's addresses and, and mail them out with our, you know, our five local shows. That's cool. I remember seeing like, uh, if you look at old cassettes or old CDs before a band maybe got signed or even like local bands, they used to put like their address, like their parents' address on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. I think I remember seeing a Nirvana cassette with that. Um, yeah, that That's was, so that funny. was it. That was, that was it. Yeah. My mom's address was the return address <laughs> for, for all the or, or fan mail. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was, uh, those were, those are good days to, to come up playing music as far as I'm concerned, just because mm-hmm. it kind of taught us how to use a Kinko's copy machine really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so funny. When you guys moved to Berkeley and, and we're doing shows, was that intimidating at all? I've spoke with other people that went to Berkeley and it's like you were maybe uh, uh, the big fish in the small pond, so to speak, in your hometown. And then you go there and it's just, you're surrounded by the best of the best musicians. And then you got to play in front of these people that are all probably judging you or they knew like, oh, like that note shouldn't have been there. Like kind of really breaking down everything you're doing. Was that even a thought? Um, I sort of luckily skirted that um that reality which was a lot of people's reality um we we kind of skirted it because we we moved we we moved to boston to go to berkeley but we we used our we said that we were living at home so we didn't have to stay in the dorms um we we got our own house right away uh, under the sort of pretense that we were living at home in Providence, which was, I guess, plausible to the administration department. So we lived lived off campus and we just kind of, I don't say we didn't really associate. We had a lot of friends who were going to Berkeley and, and, and a lot of the people we hung out with were at Berkeley, but somehow we kind of skirted that, like that feeling of being scrutinized and that insecurity. We, we had our, we had our band um you know the slip had sort of it had morphed it had become this trio and we were we were just kind of i don't know maybe we were kind of cocky too or or just um oblivious just you know by choice to 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 all that and and we really just kind of stayed focused on 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 our own group and, and growing it improvising in our own way and and the scene that we were plugged into was was a mix of like boston university kids and and uh you know um mass art kids and it was like a it was a kind of an off-campus experience for us so fortunately or for better or for worse we 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 avoided that um that that uh whatever you know Mm -hmm. the, the negative the downsides of those emotions and you know, and then I'd go to class and, and I'd, I'd take what I, what I could. I, I always tried to remain very like positive. It was it's easy to get down on Berkeley and down on a music school. Like you feel like you're 
all that you enjoyed about music is now getting put under a microscope and you're questioning everything. But I really just took it as like, you know, I'm just kind of feeding my inspiration and giving my, my, my musical language, um, a good dose of, uh, of book, book smarts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Berkeley was actually kind of, it was, it was a pretty enjoyable experience for me that, that wasn't heavily Ber- Berkeleyized. Mm-hmm. And then it just went from as far as like getting out of Berkeley and, and what was the next kind of victory you had? Like, did you, you know, you're playing local shows there, but how do you get on the road and how do you, you know, achieve years upon years of touring with this band? And then eventually, obviously, the, the Bar Brothers we'll talk about as well a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, I would say it's a lot of denial. It's a lot of. Uh, a lot of living in denial about the fact that your chances of, um, you know, succeeding in, in rock and roll or improvised sort of pr- progressive, whatever fusion jazz rock fusion, it, you know, are, are slim. We just kind of believed that it was going to happen. Um, and, you know, we, we'd cross paths with bands who had been at it for, you know, a little longer than us um you know the you know we go to new york like a you know big success would have been going to new york and playing the wetlands one of their like multiple bills with several bands and and we would have and meeting uh you know at the time a band like schleho or lettuce or um you know one of these groups that had maybe been doing it the same amount of time or longer and we'd we'd look at their little tour list and it would include Buffalo and Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. And we would just sort of put our minds to, you know, all right, let's get there. Let's go. Let's make, you know, Cleveland. Like that was, that was a huge, these were huge milestones for us getting a little bit further and a little bit further. And then someone invited us to California, you know, before we had really, uh, before we'd ever been west of of um, Chicago, I think someone was a festival there invited us, and, and just these little these little perks, you know, these little sort of things that seem like huge deals. Like it felt like a huge success to to go to California. I think around ninety nine, ninety eight or ninety nine, after playing together for four three or four years, we got invited to Japan. Wow. And, and just in our world, and again, with a healthy, with a, with a healthy dose of, of tunnel vision and kind of not, not looking at the reality of most people's situation, um, which is that it's very hard and very difficult and probably not likely that you're going to survive. We just kind of barreled towards our, our, our dream to be able to, to play music that way. Um, and I'll say like, personally, I just, I never doubted it really. I just always knew that it was going to be that or nothing. I didn't really give myself many other options. Um, didn't you know, set up I, a backup I, plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yep. No, I didn't really set up a backup plan, which, you know, I wouldn't necessarily advise to anyone, but, but I do have to say that for me, it, it worked as far as like, I'm going to do this, but it, it, 
my determination, our determination, my brother and I was as much to become the best musicians we could as it was to be successful as a, as a band or in the, in the career. So it was, it was always this feeling of, well, even if, you know, if I had stopped to think about it, like, well, even if this doesn't work, I'm going to make sure I can, I can uh, articulate myself on the, on the instrument and be able to, to express myself and, and to know, you know, the history of music and to know, you know, why, why Mingus is important and why Bach was, you know, what, what Bach did for music and how, you know, it, yeah, I guess just, just to, to go full on a, a lifer, you know, mm-hmm. we call them lifers in the business. I didn't, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but that that's really what I was kind of setting ourselves up for. Sure. I'm I'm curious. Once you guys moved to Montreal, or your brother moved first, and you soon to follow. Is that when you started the Bar Brothers, or because around that same time was? It seems like that's when that band begun, and was the slip kind of on a hiatus at that point, or? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, the slip uh, around. We made a record around 2006, 2007 called Eisenhower, which I, I think was our, our best record. Mm-hmm. We toured, uh, we did a bunch of touring, went back to Japan. We played with, um, did a lot of touring with my morning jacket. Oh, wow. Uh, They're a great we band were, too. Yeah. Awesome band. Just awesome guys. Like sweethearts, not too far from you. If I'm right They're They're, uh, Oh, they're, they're Nashville down. area. They are in um, Kentucky. Wait. Um, yeah, Kentucky ain't far. That's, yeah, like an hour and a half north of me. Yeah. What's the town? I'm from, it's eluding uh, me, the name of the town. Someone, someone listening to this right now is yelling it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, now I'm going to have to just do a quick Google because it's going to. Yeah. Uh, it starts with an L. Starts with oh, L. Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. From Louisville. Okay. I was um, going to say Louisville, but that was the only town I could think of in Kentucky off the top of my head. And then I didn't want to be totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. You're like, no, that's the one that everyone. <laughs> you know, it, when it, yeah. When you, if you think, uh, if you think it was, was it the line? You find a body and you think the brother did it. It's probably the brother who did it. <laughs> right, right. Usual, usual suspects. Sure. Um, so we, we, we had, uh, that was around 2007. And then we just, I think we just kind of ran out of, ran out of steam. Our, our expectations by that point, we'd been around, Slip had been around for 10 years. Um, and also kind of an identity crisis, not crisis, but an ident- identity issues as far as like what, you know, the band had been part of a kind of jam band scene, which by that point, by 2007, really didn't feel very relevant to us, didn't feel like a place we wanted to live, but but the band was kind of locked in there. And it, it was enough to make us say, let's take a, let's stop doing this for a bit. And it, and it so I'd been in Montreal for about a year around when, when that happened. And I had begun writing songs more, you know, Another reason why the slip kind of uh, p- pumped the brakes was 
I really felt like as a songwriter, I had not grown. Um, there wasn't a lot of music. I felt like I could, a lot of, there weren't many songs I felt like I could stand behind as far as like, I could sit in front of anybody, a, a six-year-old kid or a, or a, or a, you know, Vietnam vet or, a, or a, a family, a Midwest family and, you know, anyone and play this song and feel like, you know, or even my peers with just me and a guitar and be able to sing a song that I felt, you know, could connect to people. I really, we, we had, ex, we had a, a lot of this musical vocabulary and we could really expand and, and contract as a, a sort of breathing musical entity. But I, I felt like I was missing this ingredient of being able to deliver a song and so my, my first couple of years in Montreal, I really just, I worked on my songwriting uh, and wrote a bunch of tunes that I did feel really good about, that I felt carried the weight on their own mm -hmm. and um, started recording them. We got a little, you know, like a, a sort of boiler room studio. I started recording these songs and Andrew was there the whole time kind of helping me get them together and talking about what they're needing, what they're missing. You know, we'd put drums on it. We'd, we'd get friends to come in and play other instruments around the same, around that time. Also, we met um, two really important people to, to, to our musical lives, which was um, Sarah Pache, a harp player mm -hmm. and Miles Perkin, who was an upright bass player, but was very like very experimental and open kind of spoke our language but also loved songs too like spoke our that language of musical like tweaking the putting you know making the instrument sound not like an upright bass kind of you know really making it speak um but also was right there to support the song same with sarah and that when i sort of when we got the bunch of tunes together and i thought I was making a, a, you know, Brad Barr, you know, solo singer songwriter record. By the time it came, by the time we kind of mixed the tunes, I realized Andrew and I talked and we're like, this, this is, maybe this is our next thing together, the, mm -hmm. you know, and we decided to call it the Barr brothers. Um, you know, I realized that I don't, I don't, I'm not, there's so much I'm not good at that Andrew's good at either in terms of the music business or in terms of a, a vision for the, how a song can be produced. And, and I really, you know, it was good to kind of step away from, from that relationship and think I was striking out a bit, but when it came time to sort of ante up and, and to look at what we were, look at what we had, it was like, yeah, this is a collaboration. Let's, let's let's call it let's call it what it is and um and give it a push and so yeah it happened really really naturally really kind of unselfconsciously as far as the band coming together like mm -hmm. sarah the harp player she was my neighbor oh, okay yeah i never would have imagined you know aligning with a harpist if it weren't for the fact that she lived next door and um and miles was her friend the bass player so it's kind of like, well, here's what we've been presented with and let's make the most of it. I like that. Uh, I'm it's what I think is really cool is you guys are nominated for three, what, three Juno awards. Did I read that? I think we've been nominated. Uh, 
At least three. Uh, two, two or two or three. Two or three. Yeah. With being an American artist, originally born and raised in you know Providence, Rhode Island, was that something that got kind of in the weeds there when when it came to being nominated for that award, or was it like, oh well, they live here. I'm sure the other two members were probably from there, and it didn't make much of a difference. Like, how did that even work? It was um, it was a matter of. Uh, the fact that we actually technically hit all the criteria because, um, because yeah, two, let me see, two, two of the members were Canadian. So I guess half, at least half the band has to be Canadian. Okay. Um, it may, my brother may have already gotten his permanent residence, which technically makes him eligible for all the Canadian, um, you know, uh, yeah, on paper, if you're a permanent resident, you, you qualify as Canadian, at least as far as the Juno nominations goes and, and healthcare and, okay. you know, and being um, eligible for grants and stuff. So mm, they have a lot of great grants in Canada when it comes to musicians and artists. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, I have my own sort of thoughts about it. I think that uh, it's, as, it's as, wonderful and and bolstering and um helpful in creating music as i think it can be hindering Mm -hmm. i think i know just a lot of uh a lot of musicians and labels and just sort of musical projects like rely on those grants in a way that when i when i when i think about how it is in in new york city where if you want to survive you actually just have to be the best yeah you have to like (laughs) You know, it's like you know, survival of the fittest, and mm-hmm. and it can be rough, and a lot of people don't. But the ones that do make it are the ones that like, you know, rise to the, to the top because of, of their determination and 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 their talent and or what they have sort of put together. And I think in Canada sometimes it can get a little bit, get a little bit lax, and and a, you know, the music that wins the grants is not always the music that's you know the most vital a lot of times it's just the people that know how to write a grant you know Mm -hmm. or i think it can be stunting but having said that it's also i don't know if our band would have thrived the way it did if it weren't for some of those grants so i'm i'm kind of conflicted but but in in the end, I, I would say, yeah, it's a it's a really good thing for mm-hmm. for the music um, for the music scene for the most part. For sure, another, for sure. it's another tangent that I I, <laughs> I haven't, right, right. I, haven't uh, I haven't you know got all the empirical data to prove any point one one way or the other, but it's just sort of my gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I know that Canada's that, and the only other country I've heard doing that is New Zealand. They do uh, lots of grants like that. Oh yeah, supporting artists. Yeah, I mean it's it's. I guess the the proof would be in the pudding. I mean the fact is Canadian musicians are like, you know, in a lot of ways, the the in 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 many instances some of the most revered and and celebrated in the world right now. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean you have you, know, I, you have the weekend, Justin Bieber, Drake. I mean the biggest names on the charts, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say Alanis Morissette, but that's oh yeah, Alanis Morissette. But 
That's about two decades uh, ago, but you know. But still, yeah. Avril Lavigne, she's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'd love to do a duet with her. That would be that would be very validating. <laughs> that would be amazing. Well, uh, let's jump to your new record. It's the Winter Mission is the new album. Um, what's okay? From what I read, you've got this thing with uh, the number two sixteen. Now I want to hear about this. Um, yes. Uh, well, first of all, I'll, I'll kind of come at it from, um, from a different, uh, angle because I, I, it would not have occurred to me to, um, place these songs and this music, you know, in the context of, of that number, if it weren't for the fact that the, the, the people, the, the, the guy who was a catalyst for this record, um, just a little backstory. I, I was uh, kind of twiddling my thumbs in Montreal. It was 2019. Pandemic had not really hit, had not hit yet. In fact, we weren't even talking about it. And I got a call from a, a guy named Michael Walk, who is the director of the All for One Theater in New York, where they do exclusively one-person shows. Oh, cool. And he, and he was, uh, he, he was a fan of my first solo record, um, which I didn't mention yet. In 2008, I did a solo instrumental um, acoustic electric guitar record mm-hmm. uh, for a label called Tompkins Square. Didn't really get much promotion, much push, but somehow Michael had a copy of it and he liked it. And now it's 2019. He, I, I don't really know what inspired him to call me, except that he knew this record. His theater company was looking to um, commission music for their theater to, to be able to use uh, for their plays and to be able to use um, I for what, whatever it is, kind of whatever multi-purpose music mm-hmm. that was um, a solo performance uh, music that kind of aligned with their theater's aesthetic. And he decided, and he also, I think he wanted to, to inspire me to make another record. So in, in it's kind of a kill two birds with one stone, get, get an artist that he appreciated to um, feel kind of galvanized to make some new music. And at the same time he could have the, they could have the music they needed instead of paying licensing fees for the, for the theater. So, so that was, that was the sort of context to which he contacted me and and it was a great situation. I was all of a sudden I was employed and it became clear that he had no expectations, no sort of, no direction. He wanted this music to go other than it, that, that I felt artistically satisfied. Mm-hmm. So once I, once that, that became, uh, you know, evident to me, I started really exploring what I wanted to do um, musically. It wasn't, at first I thought, well, okay, I'm just gonna kind of please some people in New York and makes this sort of, you know, inoffensive uh, music that they can play at when they have a, you know, the meet and greet after play. But he made it clear that he, he wanted me to take this as far, go as deep as I wanted to, that this was not music they wanted, that they had any, other intention other than 
knowing that I had fulfilled myself artistically. Mm-hmm. So, um, and back to, to 216 to sort of tie that in, he kept, he would always nudge me. He'd say, you know, and if ever you wanted to turn this uh, into a performance, a theatrical performance, you know, where, where our theater company could could put on like, you know, a show with you beyond just a, a concert, a music concert, but where you kind of tie in a narrative or a theme, you know, we would, we'd love to do that. So I started thinking like, what would be my, what could sort of ground this? What, what, what thematically, what do I have that I could, that I could use to tie this together? And then I came to that number 216, which had been kind of following me my, since I was a teenager, kind of arrived very mystically and mysteriously and kind of potently into the lives of my, myself and my, friends back then um you know who, who in, i'm talking about when we were about 15 16 coming of age having a lot of our own first feelings of independence and and this number became this part of our shared mythology the way things do you know with with groups of friends things you'll just, there'll be like a phrase or something or some a place something that bonds you and binds you and that number was was part of that for us and then over the years, I got learned more about the number. I'd you know ask questions. People would send me information about it, and it became clear that that number held a lot more sort of keys than than just our own shared mythology. It was it came up in many different cultures and religions and numerology and math- mathematical anomalies and mm-hmm. cultural references and um and even like you know natural laws of the natural world seem to sort of bend to the to these the attributes of that number so i uh i guess i i used it as a kind of connective concept something that to me had this had this seatbelt as personal as it did universal and it was mm-hmm. a, a good a good umbrella to, for me to put these songs under and, and felt like it had the potential if ever i do turn this set of music into some kind of a narrative performance in the theater i felt like i could i could use it as a springboard to do that okay and how does it well then how does it fall into the record um well honestly i in the making of it uh, i i really didn't pay it much regard in the making in the making of the songs i really just like i was going i was coming from another place that was it was not really as cerebral as that but once Mm -hmm. once i started trying to look at it as a body of work um i thought that by by making these songs a tribute to it and then every song title is a reference to one of these sort of attributes of that number um so if you look at the title of uh the titles of the songs um yeah they're all like prayer beads uh there are 108 prayer beads and the and the hindu uh religion like when the sadhus count the the beads you'll see them holding a, a almost like a rosary but it's their 
the, the Hindu prayer beads, they count them. There's a hundred native of them on a strand and they count them forwards and backwards traditionally, or, oh. or um, what else? Um, three, four, five, six, the first track, it's the lowest, it's the 216 is the lowest cube that is the sum of the three uh, preceding cubes. So three cubed plus four cubed plus five cubed equals six cubed. And that's the, that's like the, the first, the, the, the lowest number where that happens when that, when that phenomenon happens again, it's not until like the hundreds of millions. So it, it mathematically it's got, it's got this sort of bit balance to it. Um, so I just, I, yeah, I named all the songs after these sort of characteristics of that number. And that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could say like, um, well, there are exactly 216 B flats. Right, that's what I thought you were going to say. Like you wouldn't got that, yeah. that intense, but that's, no, that but that a- is pretty intense to figure out all these song names to know like, okay, well this, you know, what the two th- examples you just gave. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I was going to say it'd be a terrible record, by the way, if it was more calculated than, than that, I, I think. I, I, <laughs> I know I know that I wouldn't have been able to make it. Um, You're like, God, I got to add one more B-flat somewhere. One more B-flat. <laughs> then, then, then there were probably would have been some overdubs on the record. Yeah. But no, I, 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 yeah, I thought in the end, I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to, um, you know, I, I made a list of all the kind of, the phrases that uh, that felt that I felt were kind of the most poetic and the most and and, and that the characteristic like uh, baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, most people don't know there are 216 stitches of red thread on the uh, you know uh, on the cowhide yeah. of, of every major league baseball. So mm-hmm. that's the one only one I knew I recognized when I saw the the, oh, the yeah. set list and yeah and I can't remember who told me that but my grandfather was a baseball player um, no kidding yeah he played for the indians back in the 40s or the guardians really? i guess <laughs> yeah. they're the guardians okay no they're know. they're now they're the guardians oh, now the guardians right they were homeland the indians at the time but, uh, original homeland security yeah um but so you knew that one yeah that that's only um, one but then i didn't uh, put it together until i started reading uh, about the record i'm like oh wait that's why it's called baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio. It's the area code. Um, you know, Magic Square. It it has that. It's a. Uh, it's kind of a cool little mathematical puzzle that uh, where all all the square. It's actually too complicated. I I don't even totally understand it, but <clears throat> it's like a Sudoku for for math geniuses um so yeah i just kind of put the put the names up there the titles mm-hmm. you know there may have been twice as many and then just sort of in, intuitively tried to associate the song with the with the phrase you know just kind of let them let each song try on the, the different titles um your wow. dad's awake your dad's awake that was actually when the number arrived to us it was at two sixteen in the morning. We were having uh, like a, a psychedelic, a, a sort of teenage psychedelic um, evening, and I think we were like staring at a t- 
tennis ball or something. And someone said, you're, it's 216, your dad's awake. And that was when uh, the number was sort of etched on our minds. And when we woke up the next day, remember like the following week, people were like, crazy, man. I just noticed that that's a certain scene. Like our school, the address is 216. Da, da, da. Oh yeah, that's weird. Did you know that um, Gift's birthday is, you know, or is February 16th or someone's birthday is, February 16th it just started like that and and became more and more prevalent so you know on one hand it's nothing on the other hand it's something that that keeps me incredibly uh, engaged in 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 the mystic world and the unknown and reminds me that uh there's there's a lot going on that I'll I may never know but you know if I can if I can just stay connected to it somehow and be reminded that there's always this pursuit and there's always something to learn, then then that's kind of good enough for me. Yeah. That's so cool though. Like I, I didn't know much about numerology and I was doing an interview with somebody and they were talking about it. And then I got like way into like looking up my name and like trying to figure out, and it's bizarre how, how, if you pull these characteristics of how your name and the numbers, how it all correlates, really is so direct to your person. I don't know. Maybe it was just the internet website I was doing and it was just like AIing my whole life. But I was like, whoa, it's like telling me all this crazy stuff that I, it, it just kind of blew my mind. I'm like, wow. Based on the numerology of the letters of your name? Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever looked into that? No. It's, it, no, it's no. kind of a crazy mind thing. Like if you type oh. in numerology, every letter of your name is, equivalent to a certain number and then you add those numbers up and then they give you another number. And then with that number, it'll, it'll give you three um, sets of like characteristics. It, it gets really involved. I mean, I don't know, I don't know a whole lot about it, but when I was learning about it, I was got super interested and I started, I found this website that will like break it down for you and they'll do the math. And it's really, it's quite interesting. Wow. Okay. I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I should say for the record, I'm, I'm not really like a, you know, a numerologist, I, I, or, or even, you know, mathematician. I, I, but I do, I do find that stuff fascinating. I, I just have never like myself aside from this, really pursued it much or put put a whole lot of my time into it. But I, I find that completely fascinating plausible and yeah. viable as a as a guide i mean geez anything really like uh, yeah why not it's super interesting you should you, i just i'd yeah. be intrigued to see if you looked it up and see how close it is right. i mean it's just I'm at sure. some point well is it i'll just numerology name i guess yeah i think it's numerology name and like letter hold on i remember a big one um that for us that, that 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 at least clue us into like this is beyond this isn't just our little sort of shared mythology amongst friends that it that it actually has bigger reach and, and is more and is a um legitimate pursuit um was that movie pie remember that i can't remember the director's name but he also did Requiem for a Dream. I uh, oh, made a yeah. movie called Pie, and in it, the protagonist um, gets sort of pulled into 
or gets fascinated by or, or pursued by um, is um, Hebrew numerologists. And he says the name that points out that the name of Hebrew name of God is a two, 216 character name. And that, oh, wow. and that's, that's a, you know, that's a verified, uh, um, account really mm-hmm. that it's, it's, it wasn't just fiction for the movie, but that's actually a, my brother's suddenly playing very quiet uh, piano music. <laughs> I'm going to step back outside. No worries. I only have one more. I have one more quick question for you. This has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Um, Likewise. but yeah, I, I would, I would, I, I would be curious if two sixteen has something to do, has any correlation to the numerology of your name and just everything that kind of comes with that. Well, would, you should, that you would should be, see. that would be, <laughs> that would blow your mind. So right? freaky. <laughs> be so freaky. I would, I don't know. I'd probably, I probably, <laughs> you, you wouldn't hear from me for a while. I just disappear <laughs> if that's the case. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, Brad, I, uh, my last question for you is I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Well, if I, do I ad- advise them not to take it? But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I would say, um, yep, learn to cook at least three dishes, you know, at least three meals that you can prepare for, you know, between one and six people. Um, uh, practice, practice music that, that doesn't occur to you, you know, like it's, it's real easy to feel like you've hit a wall that or like, or it's hard to imagine what, like, well, what am I going to do on the, you know, on the guitar or the piano or the saxophone today that I haven't already done. It's real easy to sort of feel like, you know, sometimes inspiration is, it needs to be created. And, and I would say like, there's, um, you know, whether it's, you know, trying transcribe the uh, 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 some kind of instrument that wouldn't occur to you try and you know transcribe a uh, you know a, a Indian Shanai solo on on your saxophone or try and uh, learn a Bach piece on the guitar you know there's as as one who has felt that way I've been like I don't you know like that's when that's when you move forward that's that's when you kind of feed yourself something and it can be subconscious so i I feel like we have never have any excuse to be bored or uninspired as musicians it's kind of you got to call on call on the uh the artist in you and and sometimes that that requires a bit of a you know a bit of effort um and what else i don't know like you know i don't know i re- i remain at a healthy distance from anything that influences my opinion of of myself besides what those close to me and, and myself have to say so you know very easy to, to i think these days it, it would probably be pretty easy for for us who are trying to 
get the momentum and feel the encouragement to to continue doing what we're doing as, as musicians and artists. And a lot of that encouragement, I feel like people these days rely on the social media platforms to to get the the thumbs ups or the hearts or the the comments, you know. But like. Uh, and that's awesome if you get them, and it's awesome if you don't get them. I, I would just say, like, let the, let let the people close to you and yourself be the one who decides, like, how satisfied you are with a with your output and and your own discoveries and your own, you know, mm-hmm. videos. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, gotta remember, there's this is a really new thing, and we've been, all, you know, music, musicians have been making music for millennia removed from all of that so um you know and i and not to deny its importance but i feel like some people can look to that as the first line of um a measure a measuring stick for how good we're doing how how well you're going to translate and just uh you know let it let it be something that comes from from yourself and from those closest to you in 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 actual reality reality 